You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning, guys. Pastor Ryan here from North Valley Community Church. Today, I am not here, uh, but you are in store for some great uh, Bible teaching from my good friend, uh, Lee Stevenson. Lee has been a part of uh, serving as the director of church planting uh, nationally uh, for an organization by the name of Converge Worldwide. And Lee is not only an incredible Bible teacher and great leader, he's a personal friend of mine, uh, served as a coach uh, who planted a church himself called Harvest Community Church. And then he, uh, uh, in fact, the chairs that you're sitting in are from Harvest Community Church in which he donated to our church. So, Every Sunday, you're sitting on something that Lee and his team gave to us. So Lee, you might be thinking these chairs probably need to be retired, but hey, we're going to use them, get a little life out of them. Um, Lee's coming today to teach Summer in the Psalms, continuing in our message series, uh, and we're so excited. I'm away. I'll be back this next Sunday. But for now, would you welcome Lee Stevenson? Give him a big North Valley welcome. Here comes Lee. Well, good morning, North Valley. It is so good to be here. Uh, I would say I've known you since you were this tall, but honestly, I've known you before you were born as a church. And so it is super fun for me to be able to be here and just watch what God has done over the years. And it's just only God can do these type of things. Um, Ryan's a dear friend. I love him. I love his family. Um, I've known him for a number of years at this point. And I can tell you first and foremost, he loves the Lord. He loves his family well, and he deeply loves you too. And uh, so it is a privilege of mine to be able to call him a friend. We are going to be, in just a moment, I'm going to be setting it up, but we're going to be in Psalm 37 today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to, to Psalm 37. Before we get there, I'm going to kind of set a little bit up the, the conversation. But before I even do that, I want to introduce you some of the, my most important people in my life. And so this is my family here, and uh, we now live in Orlando, Florida, um, I, people kind of want to know, because we lived in Phoenix before, like, what's the difference in heat? I compare it to barbecue. Like, this is dry rub, that's saucy, okay? That's, that's the, the way it's different. They're both hot. So, um, but my wife and I, Melissa, we've been married now 18 years. Just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated that. Um, we've got three kids. Um, my daughter, how many of you are dads to little girls, to, to daughters? It's, it's crazy, isn't it, what they can do to you? Like my daughter, she's 10. She's all into softball, but she has a magical power over my heart. Like I can have the worst day and I can come in the garage, walk through the door and she comes running up with a big smile and a hug. And she has the power to be able to make the worst day into a really good day. It's just the way God has, has wired our daughters. It's amazing. My sons, my oldest, he's 13. He's a competitive swimmer. His name's Aaron. And then Joshua is my youngest. He's five. And you can probably tell he's not made the same as the rest of us. I just tell people he was made in China. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's all about Legos. So that's, that's what his pastime is, is all about. Um, my two boys, they also, just like their, their sister, they have a magical power. They can take me having a really, really good day and flip it into a really bad day real, real, real quick. No, I'm, 
I'm kidding. Um, but this isn't all of us. So we've also got a few pets. So here's, here's my dog. This is my dog, Koi. Um, you may be wondering what he is. He's a cur dog. So his dad was a black mouth cur. His mom is a mountain cur, which means he was actually bred to um, hunt wild boars. So, and that's what I use him for. So he is, he is a working dog. He is a hunting dog. If you want to know more about that afterwards, come find me. Be more than happy to, to share a little bit about that. And then reluctantly, this is my cat, which I don't think we have a picture of, um, which, is, which is fitting because cats are kind of worthless. Um, but uh, th that, that makes up our family, and we, we have a lot of fun to, together as, as well. Um, let me take a moment. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into our conversation. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. God, uh, as we open up your, your word and we begin to read through the Bible today, uh, would you just speak to us individually and challenge us exactly where we're at, I pray. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged to. In your name, amen. Um, let me begin by asking you this question. What do you do when life doesn't go the way that you want it to go? But let's think through the past 15 months, right? All of us, in some shape or form, we've had to wrestle with this. Because maybe we had plans, we had this experience, we were thinking about this, but life didn't necessarily play out the way we thought it would over the last year plus, right? Maybe for some of you, it was a job loss. Others of you, it may have been a health challenge. Maybe you lost some loved ones. I was talking to a friend of mine just last week. In the past year, he's lost nine family members to COVID. Um, how, how have you interacted? How have you reacted to life not going the way that you thought it should go? Do you cry? Do you get angry? Do you throw things? Or do you just kind of go find a corner and want to get away and isolate yourself? We all have kind of dispositions in our life of how we react, how we interact when life doesn't necessarily go the way that we want it to go. The book of Colossians, written by Paul, was a letter to a group of Christians in the city of Colossae. I love the book of Colossians, especially this past year, because in a lot of ways, they were facing hardship similar to how you and I are facing hardship culturally right now in our world. And Paul is writing this letter to encourage them to continue to press forward, to continue to persevere. Don't just give up. And in, in particular, I want to take us to just a couple verses in Colossians chapter 3. And, th and this is what he says. He says, put on then, so he's saying, hey, clothe yourselves as God's chosen ones, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, holy and beloved. And then he gives us these descriptions of what, what we should look like to the world around us, our outward adornment. He says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, this is what we should do. Forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, Paul's reminding them, this is what, as a Christian, what maturity really looks like. 
I want to focus today, and and where we're going to go in the Psalms will help bring this to light, but I want to focus in on just one key attribute that we see mentioned from Paul here, because I think it's critical in our day and time. And the attribute I want us to take a look at is that of meekness. Meekness. I don't know about you, but when I think of the idea of meekness, that's not necessarily the description I want of myself. I mean, as a dude, I'm an outdoorsman. I'm a hunter. Like, I grab wild boars by my bare hands. Like, I don't want to be known as being meek. And I think some of that is culturally related to the way our culture defines meekness today. Because in my mind, when I hear this idea of being meek, I naturally want to insert weak. I think about it from a a meek person is just wimpy. And that's, that's kind of the perspective. But that's fitting because that's how our culture has somewhat defined it. For instance, dictionary.com describes meekness as being docile, overly compliant, spiritless, yielding, or tame. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines it as mild, deficient in courage, submissive, and weak. I mean, when I, when I hear those type of definitions and how our society seems to operate around this idea of being, being meek, it sounds like a meek person is just a person that cowers in the face of any type of challenge. No matter what kind of challenge it is, the moment it gets hard, we're going to cower. We can't press into whatever the challenge is. But before we go any further today, I, I want us to understand The modern definition of meekness is so different than the biblical perspective of what meekness is all about. It couldn't be further when it comes to how those definitions are compared. When you look at the Bible and the Bible's referencing to what meekness looks like, you'll find words like this to describe meekness. Righteous, humble, teachable, patient, and long-suffering. All these are being used to help describe this idea of what meekness is all about. Paul, when he writes this, wants us to understand that meekness is is a requirement. It is an attribute of someone that follows Jesus. It will be present. I would go even as, as far to say, I think it's one of the most critical attributes a Christian can have today in our world right now. I think it's one of the strongest ways that as a Christian, we can actually have an opportunity to share our faith is by living out what meekness looks like. Why? Because our world doesn't understand meekness. It is different than the way the rest of our world operates. You don't believe me? Just look out how people interact on social media. That's not meekness. That's just mean. And that's become the commonplace to our world today. So as we kind of move forward, I want to give us a working definition of meekness from a biblical understanding. Then we're going to open up Psalm 37, and it's going to bring to light how this looks like in our everyday world today. So a working definition to kind of biblical meekness is simply this. Meekness is controlled strength in the midst of uncontrollable circumstances. Meekness is controlled strength 
in the midst of uncontrollable circumstances. In other words, meekness isn't the thing that identifies the weak, but more precisely, the strong, who've just perchance have been placed in a position of situation and circumstances that they cannot control. They cannot shift the way that this is going to be played out. But instead of being in a position of weakness, they're actually persevering through the difficult circumstances. They're persevering without giving up. And let's, let's be honest, that's not normal today. People give up all the time. They give up on their jobs. They give up on their family. They give up on their marriages. They give up on their friendship. They give up on church. Those have become common. Perseverance isn't common anymore. And yet, the meek persevere because they know it is important to finish well. I mean, let's, let's choose a different path than the rest of the world is. How we deal with frustration. How we deal with bitterness. How we deal with anger. Our character, what we need to understand, our character is something that is always being tested. It's always being revealed. It's always being developed by the decisions that we make when life is difficult. Those things just, they bring it forth. For meekness, and this is what we need to understand, for meekness to even be on display, do you know what needs to be present? Conflict. Conflict has to be present for meekness to even have an opportunity to show itself. A conflict which a person is, they don't have the control to change the overall outcome. They don't have the ability to influence the final outcome. Meekness, therefore, is active. It's deliberate. It's an acceptance of undesirable circumstances. But the wise person is able to live that because they see the larger picture of what is before them. Meekness is not just resigning to fate. It's not going, well, I can't do anything about it, so it just is what it is. No, it's not passive. It's not just giving up to whatever circumstances are in this moment. It is controlled strength in the midst of uncontrollable circumstances. The word that we actually see used, translated about this idea of meekness in the Bible is actually also transferred and used in reference to animals. When animals are tamed, where they've learned to overcome their natural instinct, which can be destructive to them, it can be destructive to other people. My brother-in-law is a canine officer in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And his dog, Odin, is absolutely amazing of what he can do and what he chooses not to do at different times. Um, he recently recorded this video of just showing some of the level of training that goes on. I just wanted to show you this real quick. Glass. Glass. Good. Nope. Blats. Just wait for it. That's a good boy. Yes. Good boy. My, my dog doesn't do that, okay? 
Um, that's, it's remarkable that he's tamed to a point that he has overcome his natural tendency, his natural instinct, which is when food is placed in front of me, I'm going to eat it. I don't care what somebody else does or what, you know, let alone the owner walks out of the room for, seems like forever, and he just sits there. I mean, that's a great picture of what biblical meekness actually is all about. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Psalm 37. We're going to actually begin, just look at three verses, four verses today. We're going to start in verse 5. Verse 5. And again, know that what, what the psalmist is writing here for us is a description of what a meek person looks like in the world today. So let's take a look at this. Psalm chapter 37, starting in verse 5. He says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as, as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. So let me take this passage, let's kind of slowly work our way through it and pull out of it this understanding and description of what a meek person actually looks like today. The, the first description we see kind of there at the beginning is, the, is simply this, the meek trust God. The meek trust God. The meek, in other words, they begin their day and they end their day by trusting God. They believe that God is working. Not only is he working, he is continuing to do his work. Biblical, biblical meekness becomes real in the life of people when they wholeheartedly get to a place where they understand, guess what? God is for you. He's not against you. And when you begin to understand more than just head knowledge, but this begins to penetrate your heart and the way that you live, you look at all your circumstances, even the circumstances that are uncontrollable around you with this perspective, God, I'm choosing in this moment to trust you. Because I know you are good, and I know the fact that you are going to use this, even what may seem beyond my imagination, hard, difficult, challenging. I don't even know how I'm going to get out of this. I know that you are above it. And I know that you're all-powerful. I know you have all authority. And I know that you are working for what is good in my life. So because of that, I am choosing to trust you. The meek person in the midst of uncontrollable circumstances, doesn't try to control the circumstances, but trust God that he's actually in the circumstances and that he's working. He hasn't forgotten you. And when we get to that place, it's a beautiful place because what it means is we can roll onto God our personal anxieties, our worries we can hand to him, our frustrations we give him. Our plans, our relationships, our jobs, our health, we can give it to him because we know he's good and that he's choosing to use these circumstances somehow to bring good into our lives. The meek not just trust God, but they trust in his timing. They trust in his power. They trust in his work, his grace, that he's going to work all things for his best for his glory, and then for our good. When we worry, we're just acting like God doesn't even exist. 
because we feel like this is something I should control. You and I, we ain't God. But God is real and he's personable. And he wants us to roll our worry away from ourselves and put it upon him. And as Christians, this is who we are called to be. This is this is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Is that we trust him, even when it doesn't make sense. And this is the beginning step of what it means to be a meek person. The second is that the meek commit their way to God. This is kind of the next step. First step is I'm choosing to trust you, God. Next step, I'm not just trusting you, I'm committing my way to you. This comes only when you are personally able to admit the fact that, you know what, I'm insufficient to cope and to deal with the circumstances that I'm facing. Life is complex. It is full of pressures. It's full of challenges, obstacles. And day to day to day, they may even change. The meek trust that God is able, but not only is he able, he's willing to sustain us, to guide us to protect us all under his authority. Practically, how this begins to play out, I'll share a little bit of a life story. It was in 2012, I actually had a pretty major surgery just down the street from here. And uh, that surgery came out of an ACL tear where I was the 2% that just went really, really bad. That surgery left me three days hospitalized. I was 12 weeks bedridden. While I was bedridden, I was hooked up to a passive motion machine that just moved my leg back and forth for 12 hours a day. I then, once I was able to get out of bed, I went to work for two months in a wheelchair. Then graduated to wearing a brace. I had to wear a brace for an entire year after that. We got to the one-year mark, went in for my follow-up, and they realized the surgery that they, they did didn't work. And it took five orthopedic surgeons to figure out what was going on with my leg. After they finally figured out what was going on with my leg, the doctor looked at me and said, Lee, there's nothing I can do right now. I have a disease in my knee joint in the bone itself where the bone is dying. And he says, if, if it doesn't naturally reverse itself, there's a high probability you may lose your left leg. We began to interview amputees at that point. Here I am, a young dad, got two young kids. I was a competitive mountain biker, never got to even teach either of my kids how to ride a bike. And I can remember crying out to God, like, God, this doesn't make sense. Why this? Why now? Of all the time that we're going to have to wrestle through this, this moment. And I can remember in that angst, and there were moments, let's be honest, I was yelling at God. But it's a safe place. He can handle that. Like, God, this, I just don't get it. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Why am I having to deal with this? And I have no understanding of what the long-term outcome was going to actually look like. And through that, it began, like, God, God challenged me. Do I trust him? But not only do I trust him, am I willing to commit my future to him? Even if it's different than the way I had always thought it would be. And for me, I, I'm not a journaler. But in, in, in seasons of stress, I have found journaling actually as a helpful tool because it forces me to get my emotion out. 
and to put words to the emotion I'm feeling. And in this season, I began to write. And one of the things I literally had to write was, God, I commit this to you. Sign my name. And that was a freeing moment. For some of you, you may have to get that practical. With whatever circumstances you're facing, whatever future thing that you're worried about, you may need to literally sit down and write it out. God, I commit this to you. Sign it. And that becomes a place you can look back at years down the road of this moment that you said, God, I'm choosing not just to trust you, but I'm committing this to you. The meek commit the future in their way to God. The third thing is that the meek wait for God. The meek wait for God. This doesn't mean that the meek are people that are lazy. It simply means that they're free from frenzy. There's a a steady calmness that's a part of them that just comes from knowing God and trusting in the fact that, you know what? God's got it taken care of. He's figured it out. He's got a plan. Not only does he have a plan, he has the power to actually make it happen. If we truly believe that God has everything under control, then why do we fret and why do we find ourselves in a frenzy all the different times? If he truly is good and he truly has everything under control, we can trust the fact that he will work it out for his best, his glory, and for our good, even if it might be different than the way that you and I would want to do it. Remember, he's God and we're not. Meek people have a steady quietness, a calmness, even in the midst of craziness and upheaval all around them. And part of it comes over a season of walking with God and seeing God show up. That it just begins to permeate our heart and we begin to recognize, you know what, it doesn't matter if I, if I freak out. It doesn't matter if I get in a frenzy about this because I can't change any of it. What I've noticed in my life and even watching other people that when we find ourselves in a frenzy and we begin to fret about a lot of different things, we can actually open ourselves up to a lot of different mistakes. The, the first mistake we tend to make when we're living life by, you know, in a frenzy is we just run ourselves into the ground. We run so hard for so long that we just exhaust ourselves and all of a sudden we find ourselves on the brink of burnout or in the middle of burnout. We just cannot take another step. And because we feel so much angst that I've got to control this, I've got to do this, we work ourselves up and we work ourselves to the point of sheer exhaustion because our body cannot take anymore. We're not sleeping well. We're not eating well. We stopped exercising. All those things are natural signals to ourselves to be able to go, you know what? You're moving at a pace that's not sustainable. Something's got to change. The second thing that we tend to do is we just shut other people out. We isolate ourselves because we just say to ourselves, nobody else understands my circumstances. Nobody else understands what I'm dealing with. I've got to figure this out. I've got to get us through. I've got to do this. And as a result, we isolate ourselves. Friends, as Christians, we're not called to isolate ourselves. We're called to live in community. We need each other. God designed us this way. And so challenge yourself not to just live life in a frenzy. The third thing we tend to do is we focus only on those things that are negative. We just, 
We become negative people. We become Eeyores. You know Eeyore? Winnie the Pooh? Everything's bad. It never can change. Like you're just stuck in this rut. And when we live our lives in a frenzy, we eventually become this person. We just always negative. And here's the reality. People don't like hanging out with negative people. They don't. Because we feel like you're going to bring me down too. The fourth thing is we tend to just forget about God. Well, we just assume God abandoned us. And that's why we're in the middle of this. So if God's not going to help me, I've got to do it myself. Now, here's what I've recognized. Each and every one of us, we usually tend to have a default mode when we find ourselves in a frenzy of what comes out. Which one of those four is your kind of default? Which one seems to show up first? Be conscious of that. It'll help you understand where am I at when it comes to truly understanding who God is and, and waiting for God in these moments. The fourth description that we see here of the meek person in Psalm 37 is the meek person doesn't fume and fret over the wicked's success. So when the wicked have success, they don't freak out about it. It says this in verse 7 and 8. It says, They don't fret or and refrain from acting on their anger at the success or prosperity of those who are wicked. They trust that their life, their family, their well-being is all really in the hands of God. So the, the meek wait patiently on God's power. They wait on his timing to make all things right. Moses is actually gives us a great perspective of what meekness look like. If you go to Numbers chapter 12, you see the story, and I'll just kind of give you a quick summary. In, in Numbers chapter 12, Moses is getting remarried. Uh, his wife has died, he's remarrying, and his siblings, Miriam and Aaron, are frustrated with the fact that Moses didn't come to them and ask for their blessing, to ask for their advice. And they don't think this is the right woman for Moses, and they just begin to complain, and they begin to confront, and they're just on and on and on and on. Now, I don't know how your, if you have siblings, how your relationship is with your siblings, but there are certain things like, I can interact with my siblings differently than I probably with any other human being, because there's, there's history there. We've gone through a lot, right? And so there's a deep love. I can only imagine, like, if my own siblings came to me the way that we see it portrayed in Numbers chapter 12, like, the gloves would be coming off and we're going at it. But that's not how Moses interacts. The description we have of Moses is that Moses just, he just sits quietly. And he just takes it. And he just listens. But the interesting thing is God intersects and deals with that situation. I mean, a little bit... I would look at it and go, it's kind of aggressive and severe. Like in that moment, he gives Miriam leprosy, which tells us God takes complaining very seriously. So we probably got to watch it. But he gives her leprosy. And if I was Moses, I'd be like, Psh, deserves you right. Like little sis, big sis, shouldn't have done that. Bummer. You know, like that would be my natural reaction, but that's not what Moses does. Moses, he intercedes on their behalf. He begins to pray for them and ask God, would you step in, God? Would you heal them in that moment? I'm like, who does that? Moses did. And then it talks and describes Moses in that instance as the meekest man that ever walked the face of the earth. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to control uncontrollable circumstances. 
He just showed meekness in the way that he interacted. For me personally, a number of years ago, I had a person that just was coming after me, unjustified, making attacks. And even after I moved from Arizona to Orlando, it followed me. And he made contact through social media, making these false accusations. And I was so frustrated inside. I'm like, I I just wanted to defend myself. I wanted to make this right. And I was being mentored by an older pastor at the time. And I just came to him and said, I showed him this. I said, what do I do? Like, I don't even know how to to react in this this moment. His his words were life-changing. And he just said, Lee, just write back to him. Yep, I'm a work in progress. And I'm just praying that God's grace will be evident in my life and leave it. And I'm like, that was life-changing. To realize it's okay. You don't have to necessarily defend yourself. What it's taught me is that meekness is a direction. It's not a destination. It's not something that you're going to, all of a sudden, I've arrived. I'm meek. No. It's a direction that we continue to walk this path and trusting that God is going to show himself, reveal himself, and guide me through each and every challenging moment. This meek person isn't self-willed. And they're not overly concerned on their own ways or their own ideas or their own personal wishes. They're willing to place themselves into second place for the betterment of other people. Meekness is the antithesis of self-will self-interest, self-assertiveness. It's not a sign of weakness, but it is a sign and measure of great strength. When I think about meekness, I can't help but think about Jesus. When you think about Christ walking obediently to the point of the cross, nailed to a cross And those in which he's ministered, lived among for years, are ridiculing him, spitting upon him. They whipped him to an inch of his life. They placed this crown of thorns on his head, and then they put him up in the sun, naked, in front of everybody. And they just continue to slander him. Jesus, in a moment, with the words of his mouth, could have called upon legions of angels to deliver him from that moment. But he chose not to. Not only did he choose not to call on angels to come down and save him off that cross in that moment, he prays out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That's what meekness looks like. It's controlled strength in the midst of of uncontrollable circumstances. And it should be a marker to all of us as followers of Jesus. He showed us what it looks like. Now it's our turn to embrace it. Let's do that. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you and we're thankful for who you are. And God, we thank you for the example of what it means to be meek in front of us. God, we we need help. Lord, I'm far from it. But God, I know personally I'm committed to walking in that direction. I pray for all of us to help us do that as well. And as a result, other people would question. They 
they would want to know what's different about us than the rest of the world and give us a great opportunity to share our love and our salvation, our faith of Jesus Christ in a manner that Lord would change their life and that we'd celebrate one day in heaven many lives that were changed. May this journey of meekness begin with us, I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.